Welcome to a very special episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast. Before the show starts, I have a few things to say. This episode is being released on December 1st, 2019, as opposed to a regularly scheduled day for an episode to drop. We thought it was important that this episode drop on today, December 1st, because today, December 1st, is World AIDS Day. World AIDS Day was first observed in 1988. Every year, organizations and individuals across the world bring attention to the HIV epidemic, endeavor to increase HIV awareness and knowledge, speak out against HIV stigma, and call for an increased response to move toward ending the HIV epidemic for all. The theme for the 2019 World AIDS Day is Ending the HIV AIDS Epidemic Community by Community. This ties into our book and movie discussed this episode and the band played on. Approximately 1.1 million people in the U.S. are living with HIV today. About 15% of them, or 1 in 7, is unaware that they are infected. At the end of 2018, 32 million people had died from AIDS-related illnesses since the start of the epidemic. Today we invite you to wear a red ribbon in solidarity, to remember those who have been lost in this epidemic, and to find space in your heart to love one another. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Special guest! It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Special guest! gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Hello and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast, the podcast where I, Kalia, a huge book nerd, talk about movies based on books, as well as the original source material. Today I am joined by a very special guest to discuss the 1987 book and the band played on, which became the 1993 HBO special movie, and I will get to him in just a sec. But first, I want to remind you of all the ways that you can connect with Pages and Popcorn Podcast on the internet. As you know by now, we have a webpage at www.pagesandpopcornpodcast.com where you can find sources, references, and updates about the show. This show in particular is going to have a whole bunch of sources and some really interesting YouTube video clips and all sorts of fun stuff, so please make sure you check it out. You can also connect to us via our Facebook page and our Twitter, both searchable by typing Pages and Popcorn Podcast into your search bar. So, social media, we're there, you can be there too. And, of course, you can directly email me at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com, and we'd like to encourage you to rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us, especially iTunes, because that will help other people find us. Lastly, I want to thank our patrons for their ongoing support. $1 or $5 a month, if you're feeling generous, really helps me um, afford to keep doing this, and I really like doing this. So... Now, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to my very special guest. His name is Chris Jarvis, and he is an LGBT activist here in the Fresno Central Valley. And uh, Chris, say hello to the nice people. Hello, nice people in podcast land. There you go. And I'm talking to Chris specifically today about this book and the band played on and it's a little bit different because this is not a fiction book that was converted into a movie this is the first time that we've discussed a non-fiction book that was made into a movie so it's a little bit different today but i wanted to ask chris specifically here because well chris why why do you have a personal connection to the book and the band played on well i'm 58 years old so i was 20 at when aids really started to take off so to speak in a bad choice of words, um, around 1982. And 
I had one relationship at that time where I, so I got through 10 years of that and then I met somebody else and he ended up dying of AIDS. So I have, I've had a husband that died of AIDS. I've had many, many, many friends that died of AIDS. Very good friends who work in the AIDS um, arena in Fresno in the Central Valley. So it's really close to my heart. Yep. Okay. And Chris and I used to work together at a nonprofit here in Fresno, the Central Valley of California, called Gay Central Valley. And we ran an LGBT community center for a while. It's no longer there. There's other groups that are doing some amazing work here in the Valley, as well as all over the world. But yes, so before I do my recap, real fast, can you tell me how you came to this book and movie? Did you hear about it when it first came out in 1987? Yeah, I did. And I, I did not read the book at the time for a few reasons, but basically because I was a little too close to the AIDS crisis, losing friends. And I think I lost my first friend in 1986. Uh, he was a 23 years old, happened in Lake Tahoe, and oh. he was diagnosed and died within, it was less than a year. And nobody in Lake Tahoe even knew how to how to treat or think about AIDS. I remember I was in the room with him when the doctor came in to give him the diagnosis, and the doctor was just white as a ghost when he walked in the room, and his mouth was a little bit ajar. He literally did not know how to even say this because he hadn't even been confronted with it and that was in 1980 86 something yeah. like that okay um so I, I didn't read it when it first came out because it was a little too close to things that were going on in my own life and then uh my husband died in 1994 um, but i knew all about the book i'd read all kinds of things about the book i did see the mini series uh in you know probably i don't know if i saw it when it aired in 93 but shortly after that but i had you know totally forgotten what it was until I watched it for this. Yeah. Okay. I knew it was a book. We read portions of it in a sociology class that I was in in college and then watched the HBO special miniseries thing in college uh, over the course of a couple of class periods. And so that was my exposure, just a couple of snippets of the book. And the book was always very intimidating. I don't know if you know people in podcast land, this book is 613 pages long. Woo! It is a major undertaking. It is, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, extra points to Chris for well, coming and, on. <laughs> and that was another thing, reason I didn't read it at the time. I was like, 600 pages, my <laughs> gosh. It's hard to read 600 pages of anything. Um, and, and you know, I'll save my little spiel about what I thought about the book really towards the end. But I, I will say that it it was 613 pages. It was all 613 pages. And it, it's worth it, though. It's it, definitely, definitely worth it. Worth it. But it is, and, and it's a testament actually to the writing to that you're still engaged exactly. at yeah. 613 yeah. pages in. Okay, so because it is a nonfiction book that that was converted, the recap is not a narrative structure kind of story the same way. Even though the book is very chronological, um, I've broken it down into slightly different things. So I'm going to talk for a whole lot to kind of give you a sense of what this book was about, and then a very brief touch on what the movie did, because the movie tried, and... and with six, <laughs> That's a good word. Yes, it did. It tried very hard. No, that those aren't good words, but it tried. <laughs> it <laughs> Okay. Okay, so, and the band played on. The subtitle is Politics, People, and the AIDS Epidemic. It's the 1987 book by San Francisco Chronicle journalist Randy Schultz. The book chronicles the discovery and spread of the human immunodeficient... Hey, I'm just going to apologize in advance for my medical jargon, but here we go. Um, human 
immunodeficiency virus, HIV, and acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS, with a special emphasis on government indifference and political infighting, specifically in the United States, to what was then perceived as a specifically gay disease. Schilt's premise is that AIDS was allowed to happen while the disease is caused by a biological agent, incompetence and apathy towards those initially affected allowed it spread and it became much worse. The book is an extensive work of investigative journalism written in the form of an all-encompassing timeline. The events that shaped the epidemic are presented as sequential matter-of-fact summaries. The impact the politics involved in battling disease are on particular individuals in the gay medical and political communities. The discussion starts in 1977 with the first confirmed case of AIDS, that of Greta Rask, a Danish doctor working in Africa. And the book ends with the announcement by actor Rock Hudson in 1985 that he was dying of AIDS. This um, basically did a lot of international attention to the disease and everybody started talking about it in a much different way after Rock Hudson came out. Um, AIDS in the United States most notably struck gay communities in LA, New York City, and San Francisco. It's largely due to the general public's limited knowledge of the importance of protected safe sex and IV drug using practices in preventing the transmission diseases in the 70s and 80s. Schilt sources in the gay community tried to remember the last time everyone they knew was healthy, and so there's this definite sense of before and after, before 1980, and then after um, 80 to 85 is kind of that middle period where people are starting to become aware and then after 85 and then everybody kind of knew and they had done a lot of work about education um, in San Francisco particularly in the Castro district gay community activists such as Bill Krauss and Cleve Jones found a new direction in gay rights where so many came down with the strange diseases in 1980 the San Francisco Department of Public Health began tracing the disease linked it to certain sexual practices and specifically a specific person and made recommendations like to stop having sex. They tried to tell gay men to stop having sex to avoid getting sick, but this directive that um, that defied the chief reason why many gay men had migrated to the Castro and for what gay rights activists in San Francisco had fought for for years. Krauss and Jones often found themselves fighting a two-fronted battle against city politicians who would rather not deal with the disease that affected only gay men or who were seen as undesirable population. The gay men themselves refused to listen to Dunday's prophecies and continued unsafe behavior. In New York City, there was Larry Kramer and Paul Poffin, who previously shown no desire for leadership or forced by bureaucratic apathy to form the gay men's health crisis to raise money for medical research and provide social services because the government and nobody else was doing it. Um, let's see here. Also, the, um, the sizable gay communities in most instances were responsible for raising the most money for research, providing the money for, and subsequently the social services for the dying, educating themselves and other high-risk groups. Okay, so doctors were the first to deal with the, the toll that AIDS would take on the United States. We've got a couple of name drops here. Uh, Marcus Conant and James Curran. They realized the professional life's courses in dealing with patient after patient showed up in their offices with these baffling diseases. So there's basically all these people were showing up with these diseases that you were not really ever supposed to get. And if you got, it was very, very random and very, very rare, but people were getting them because something, an underlying thing, which they turned out, it turned out was the retrovirus was affecting the immune system. So people were actually getting these diseases like lymphodem. Oh God, I can't say this word. Yeah. Good luck with that. Lymphodemopathy. Um, Pneumocystis, 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 carnini, pneumonia, Kaposi's, sir, Car- Carposi sarcoma, Carposi sarcoma, toxoplasmosis, 
cytogalovirus and cryptosporidia. There you go. Okay. Um, so again, everything was showing up because the immune system was being affected, but it took them a while to figure that out. Um, the public health department of San Francisco, uh, tried to handle this information about this new communicable disease. They tried to trace people who were sick and link them to other people. And they tried to do this in San Francisco as well as other parts of the country. Uh, the New York city public health department did very little. They said that it wasn't a big deal and that the gay community was handling it itself. Same time, gay men were getting sick in the United States. Doctors in Paris were receiving patients who were from African, who lived in Africa, were getting the same symptoms. So we had kind of a race to figure out what was causing it, both in Paris at the Pasteur Institute and at the National Cancer Institute here in America, where Dr. Robert Gallo was also working on the virus. There's a lot of drama about who discovered what and when and who had whose samples. Ultimately, um, the French had one retrovirus, Dr. Gallo had another, but they were actually the same one, which is why we call it HIV and not LAV and HILVN and all of these other things. And they have to share the credit. There's some drama. We'll talk about that. Um, Departmental Ego and Pride, according to Schultz, also uh, confounded the research and the National Cancer Institutes and the Center for Disease Control. They were obviously always arguing about funding and working on to create a possible vaccine. Once AIDS became known as a gay disease, there was particular difficulty for many doctors in different specialties to get other medical professionals to acknowledge that AIDS could be transmitted to people who were not gay, such as infants born from drug-using mothers, children, and adults who had hemophilia, and later their wives, Haitians, and people who had received blood transfusions. In fact, the discovery of AIDS in the nation's blood supply and subsequent lack of response by the blood bank leadership occurred as early as 1982. In 1982, they knew that the blood was potentially tainted. It wasn't until 1985 when there was an antibody testing started to be approved by the Food and Drug Administration that blood bank industries acknowledged that they could, the AIDS could be transmitted through the blood. And, uh, yeah, okay, let's see here. Apparently, they didn't want to screen for hepatitis because they thought that even that would make people not come. So there was money. It was all money. It's a lot of money involved in, and how much it was going to cost. Okay. Let's see here. Oh, my God. There's so much. Okay. Uh, the Reagan administration officially said that they were, you know, looking into AIDS and it was our number one health priority, although no extra funding was ever given to the Centers of Disease Control and National Institute of Health for research for years and years. What Congress did pass was highly politicized and embattled and, and was a fraction of what similar other health problems had, you know, needed. I want to put a pin in this, but we need to talk about the, the Tylenol murders in connection with that, because the book talked about that a little bit, too. The closure of the gay bathhouses was talked a lot about in the book, because in the bathhouses, people were, people were at higher risk to get AIDS by going to the bathhouses, but there was a lot of political infighting about whether or not the bathhouses should or should not be closed. And eventually, as a matter of public health, the bathhouses were closed. And there was the general phobia of AIDS that was exacerbated by the news media who erroneously reported that AIDS couldn't, could be contracted by household contact without checking any facts. This prompted mass hysteria around the United States. This is what led to people thinking that you could get it from toilet seats or by touching people who have AIDS. 
And there's a lot in the book about one particular man named Gayton Dugas. He was a Canadian flight attendant. He died in 1984. He was labeled patient zero because he was linked directly or indirectly to 40 of the first 248 reported cases of AIDS in the United States. And after he was told of his ability to infect others, he defiantly continued to have unprotected sex. The book also keeps a running tally of those infected and those dead. And the book, again, is 600 pages long. So as it continues through, it periodically stops and says, at this point in our story, X number of people had been diagnosed and X number of people died. By the time that President Reagan delivered his first speech on the epidemic of acquired immune deficiency syndrome, 36,058 Americans had been diagnosed with the disease and 20,849 had died. And that was in 85. 85. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that the book talked a lot about was the fact that the inoculation period was incredibly long. Nobody knew exactly how long it was made. So you could be um, exposed and a carrier for potentially five to seven years before you even started showing symptoms. And so in all of those times, you could give it to somebody else and not have any idea that you were doing so, which meant that in 1985, those numbers are, they're just small now compared to what it actually became. The epidemic just is so much bigger than that uh, because it just, it it was a cascade mentality. On top of that, even if you knew you had it at that time, nobody well not nobody but a lot of people wouldn't talk about it because you could lose your job you could lose it you could lose everything mm-hmm. because you could be ostracized to the point of exile so a lot of people i i knew people back then who had it but wouldn't tell people right so the film came out in 1993 which is you know 6 years after the book at the point when the film came out it was basically a mixed bag in terms of news. Like so many more people were dying and had been diagnosed at that point, but there finally was starting to get a little bit of momentum towards finding a cure. Um, We still don't have a cure, but working on the cocktail, but even those medical advances took a while. And in 1993, we were still fighting this uphill battle. Yeah. Well, I could tell you for a fact that the, the cocktail that was the mag was the breakthrough happened 94 mm-hmm. somewhere around there because my husband died in 94 he died just before the the cocktails came out before that it was azt which was toxic and all this other stuff that that my husband actually refused to test he was on azt he refused to take it after a while because the side effects were so awful like a lot of people did so it was around 94 that the the medical breakthrough started to happen and the book has an interesting thing. It says in 1985, when Rock Hudson came out, it changed the dialogue about AIDS and it made it kind of more obvious and uh, basically on the television sets of people. And of course, in a, in a very negative way, because there was so much misinformation happening, but at least it started to get talked about. And I think that the movie did the similar thing in 1993. It brought it back to the forefront of people's uh, brains. Something that the book talked about that the movie didn't touch on at all, really, but I think is really, really important, has to do with the Tylenol oh, yeah. situation. When people were getting poisoned by, by supposedly poisoned, more, more. I mean, some people were, but it was very, wasn't it very, very small? It's incredibly small. Yeah, yeah. In fact, isn't that what created the safety caps on Tylenol on, on I think, medicine bottles? Yeah. So. <laughs> Here's the, just to compare the, the the disparate reaction. The Chicago Tylenol murders in October 1982, 
Seven people die after seven, yeah. seven after ingesting cyanide-laced Tylenol capsules. The New York Times wrote a front-page story about the Tylenol scare every day for the month of October and produced 33 more stories about the issue after that. More than 100 law enforcement agents and 1,100 Food and Drug Administrator employees worked on the case. Johnson & Johnson disclosed they spent $100 million attempting to uncover who had tampered with the bottles. Seven people. Seven, Seven people. people. In October of 1982... 634 people were reported having AIDS, and of those, 260 had died. The New York Times wrote three stories in 1981 and three stories in 1982, none of which were on the Fernand page. And I don't even, it wasn't even called AIDS by that point. No. It was called something it's, else. I think it was called grid, grid, grid at yeah. that point. So, and disparity. Just so much disparity. That right there, and it's highlighted in the book, and it's highlighted in the movie, and, and one thing I'll say about the movie is it does highlight that part of it well. The, the fact that people didn't want to talk about this. They didn't want to be associated with it. Even doctors didn't want to be associated because it was the gay disease, even though, of course, even at that time, it was affecting other people. Um, but this little tiny Tylenol thing, I remember that. I mean, that was a that was a huge scare throughout the country. I mean, everybody. I mean, I think it's akin to. You know, razor blades and apples, which never really happened. Mm -hmm. And that became a, a thing for years and years with people but on Halloween, um, poisonous apples. But this was a very small number of people. And, and it led to them redesigning uh, medicine bottles around uh, around the world. I mean, they now had that child protective cap on it. That's when that happened. Right. To um, keep people from tampering. To keep people from tampering. Seven people. Yeah. But that shows you just by when you mentioned the news stories uh, in the paper, it's the conception... It's, it's that's why life in America is so much about conception rather than reality. Perception. Perception rather than reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, they perceive that this could happen to them, and they get riled up and scared because Tylenol can affect anybody. In in reality, AIDS can affect anybody, but they didn't even think of it that way. Right. They thought, in fact, as you know, a lot of people then were like, "Let the gay people die. We don't want them anyway." So right. that was another huge factor why they didn't deal with it. And they talked about that in the book, Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell. Um, coming out and saying things like, well, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's punishment. And yeah, that's okay. Wipe the world clean of them. Blight of San Francisco. And I think it's interesting because the book talked a little bit about um, it, it. So in the 60s, we had our like sexual revolution. Women got the pill. And so women were able to be sexually promiscuous and have body autonomy and hooray for sex. And that started to happen for gay men in the 70s. And so, of course, there's, there's lots of gay sex happening and then there's this disease and of course people are like well don't have the gay sex and there's a lot of people in the castro and in san francisco and in lots of other places who are saying but we finally are able to be free so telling us to not have sex is policing our bodies is now telling us you know the wrong way to be gay and so there's a lot of it, it's a complex issue to gay people at that time it was just a, a deeper level of discrimination. Basically, what gay people thought, and I remember this clearly, gay people thought, okay, because before 1980, like the 75 to 80, the level of acceptance for gay people was going through the roof. We were, we, uh, civil rights were being talked about, marriage was being talked about, gay people were going to be on TV like they were never on there before. I mean, it was a really amazing time not compared to what we have now but in that time frame it was pretty amazing what was happening we thought we were on the the cusp of equality and then aids hit and destroyed 
everything, and there's more to talk about about that. But um, the sex with gay men, you know, this is the thing about sex with gay men, especially at that time. We had been so suppressed until that time, we could not even think about having sex with other men. And if so, it was clandestine and hidden and dangerous and all that stuff. And now, here in the late 70s, early 80s, sex was how we liberated ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention we didn't want traditional relationships. Most gay men didn't want traditional relationships. So so sex to gay men was freedom. And when the, when they, when the um, society came out and said, we need to close the bathhouse, baths, bathhouses, which that's a whole other conversation, but, you know, they felt threatened because it wasn't about the sex to them. It was, even though it was, it was right. about, you're taking away our rights again. You're telling us we have to go hide somewhere. It's okay to be gay, but as long as you're in the background, we don't want you throwing it in our face. Like they still do a lot today. Right. Well, and a lot of distrust too. If you have a government system or a social system that has been regularly trouncing on you and treating you like other, it, they're not trustworthy when they say, oh no, it's, it's for your own good to right. not act like yourself. And those right. things that you're doing that feel good and that are a celebration of you. No, 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 no. Those are bad for you. I can totally get why people are like, really? But ironically, it was, ironically, a, a, it was. It was a good move to close the bathhouses. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a good move to say sex is what's spreading it. Because, you know, in the movie and in the book, a lot of these men were involved in bathhouses that were the mm -hmm. first ones coming down with this. And that's how it was getting spread extremely fast with a lot of people. So, I mean... Logic-wise, and Larry Kramer was one of the people that, that stated this fact, logic-wise, it was logical to close the bathhouses. Mm -hmm. But then that came right up against the, the, the gay community who said, you're, that basically equal to telling us to shut up and, and, and shut down. And right. So it was, it, was, it was tough. So I do want to talk a little bit about the movie. Um, the, to do, to do. Okay, so it was the 1993 Primetime Emmy Award winning HBO television film. It was produced by Aaron Spelling. There you go. Kind of right surprised there. me. Okay. It was directed by. When you watch it, that won't surprise you. <laughs> Robert Spotswood, and and starred Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine as Don Francis, and there's just I could list. There's a zillion people in this movie. You just again, it's going to be in the show notes. Everybody who is anybody. Um, Lily Tomlin, Alan Alda. Yes. Uh, even Steve. Phil Collins, Bud Court, David Dukes, Richard Gere. Um, Glenn Headley, Angelica Houston, uh, Swoosie Kurtz, I mean, Steve Martin, Richard Mazur, Ian McKellen. Yeah, Ian McKellen. Yeah. And um, what was interesting is that they appeared on the film on union scale pay. So they didn't get paid a lot of money because people thought that this was very important, which it was. The film was released the same year as Philadelphia and the play Angels in America Gay Fantasia on national themes. So... This was definitely like the year where Hollywood was acknowledging that right. gay is a thing and AIDS is a thing and we need to be talking about it. Um, and so it's interesting that this came out the same year as Philadelphia, which was a fictionalized version of reality. And then this was like a bizarre documentary fictionalized. Idea. Which I had a huge problem with Philadelphia. I mean, which, I, I, I don't think Philadelphia is a very good film, but that's a whole other conversation. I don't think it represents um, a couple's relationship the way it should. And that's because I was going through it around, you know, around that time. So I knew what a gay couple with one of them had AIDS would, would have been like. And I felt it. I, I still don't like that movie. I pin in that. I want to hear more about it. Um, but, okay, so this was an interesting thing to me. The movie, I, I, I literally finished the book, 
like wrote a couple of paragraphs of my notes and then clicked on it's on Amazon Prime. It is yeah. it's, it's free if you, if you, you have, have Amazon Prime, Prime, you can watch it. And it starts off in 1976 with Don Francis, who by the way, Don Francis was in the book, but not a huge part of the book. Uh, whatever. He arrives in the villages on the banks of uh, the Ebola River in Zaire, discovers many of the residents and the doctors working with them have died from a mysterious e- um, illness, and they're having to burn all of these bodies, and then the little title card comes up and says, this was not AIDS. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> why are we watching this? Like, I understand Well, it. I mean, I kind of got that part of it, because they're comparing... Uh, the the burning of the bodies and not wanting to be near these people that were dying, that's what AIDS was. No, I, I get it. It's just, it's like, okay, <clears throat> this book is insanely long, oh, and yeah. you're already going to shrink it down into this t- small bit of time, and we're going to spend a bunch of time with this character development of Don... Okay, whatever, Don Francis. <laughs> okay, fine. Even so, that flashback. Oh, my God, too, yeah. that was a the thing. Then this this movie was about Don Francis, right. this uh, this... Guy who who the only character thing we got about him was that he would have these flashbacks. But okay, so fine. He works for the Center of Con- uh, Disease Control, and he's the one who has all these grand ideas, and he's figuring it out. Which and he's the one that wants to buck the system and say, right. "I don't care about the money. I don't care what. Get me some uh, research equipment so I can take care of this." Right, and um, some definite poetic license was taken with who said what and when and how and who came up with the ideas and whatever. Um, but it, this, this story follows basically the movie needed to, to, to locate us in a narration. So we have Don Francis, we follow him as he's trying to figure out what's going on. We follow Dr. Gallo as he's uh, portrayed as this kind of maniacally evil guy who's you know more interested in the Nobel Prize than actually curing people. And then we follow Bill Krauss and his partner um and his friends in san francisco as he's working through you know what's going on with all of the community and then bill kraus gets you know the um and bill kraus was ian mckellen is right? ian mckellen yeah. yeah and um okay so it it kind of follows along it's it's over dramatic in some areas and and leaves a lot of stuff out but considering what it was trying to do this huge book and this huge expanse of time um i don't know i i thought it did it tried i Okay, you better start putting quotes around that word because tried is a strong word for this movie. Um, If you pick up this book, it is some of the most brilliant writing. Now, yes, it's a nonfiction book, but it reads like fiction. What is interesting is that it does, it it, it reads like a story. It reads like a murder mystery. And like, you know, you're getting all these pieces and stuff. And so much happens so fast. It's 600 pages. It's five years. And it's like, this happened in May. And then this happened in June. Because he's following several characters from page one. So in one chapter, you may get six sections or seven sections Mm -hmm. that are based on different characters. And it all ties in eventually. But he's following different people. This is my thing with with the movie. I may have a lot of problems with the movie. But this book was so dramatically and movie type written Mm -hmm. if you can if that's the movie you make out of this book well we all know what aaron spelling did he made all those dynasties and all that crap tv so right uh charmed and yeah all that stuff teen Um, angsty i think he was he charlie's angels i don't know but he was a lot of crap tv but um they had such a blueprint in this book it's just brilliantly written and and the 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 heart-wrenching stories that he puts in here um, and they just went way, way off the rails. The movie basically is about the medical community. It's yeah. not really about the people that died. And I would say, like, they, we did have Bill Krauss was in it, but Ian McKellen, 
but it really felt like this was about Don Francis. Don right. Francis, and who is never... We never find out if Don Francis is gay, and I, I, technically it doesn't matter, but it kind of does. It, it, it feels weird see, to me. See, that never even crossed my mind. It feels weird to me that this this book and this movie that's supposed to be about this horrible disease that directly and disproportionately affected the gay community, and we have, I'm not going to say the white savior complex, because it's not about a white, but, but it's like the, it's the, the non-sexual savior true, true. guy. He's like here, and he's going to solve it, and... All of these, a lot of the the things that happened in the book were credited to other people having his whole thing in the movie where he was like, it's this leukemia thing and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to have this breakthrough and blah, blah, blah with watching the Pac-Man. Like that didn't happen. That's not how it happened. And it really undermines all the people who worked on this and the the many medical minds who were coming up with ideas to put it all onto like freaking Matthew Modine who just kind (laughs) of like sleepwalks through this thing and gets upset when he doesn't have a microscope but other than that the only thing we know about him is he likes jelly donuts and he has flashbacks like i just <laughs> well i think matthew modine i mean you can't there's no way you could do the depth of this book in a movie unless you did a mini series or something like that they should have done a mini that, that's what i think i think they should have done a mini series or four mini series and you could have had one that you know followed bill kraus and and you know Okay, and then you could have had one that followed the disease control, and you could have had one. I mean, that... the script is right here in the book. It's, it's so it's... well written. You just take out yeah. what's in the book. You don't have to rewrite it. So, yeah, they were trying to do it in two and a half hours or whatever it was. And so Matthew Modine, I think, represents to them, and I don't think it went well, but I think he represents. Uh, he didn't even re- to me represent a medical doctor no. in, the, in the in the movie. He represented maybe the rebel against the system. But again, as you yeah. say that, he's he, represented by a straight white, white male. Dude. He represented <clears throat> what America needed to have, the everyman. He was supposed right, to be exactly. the everyman who was helping people because he was a good man. It wasn't that he was personally invested. He was just, you know, a good guy, which is fine. He was personally invested. Don't you remember those flashbacks? Oh, oh God. <laughs> I, just, but you know what I mean? Like, And so I, 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 I felt like it did a little bit of a disservice by... And I, maybe for the time, maybe 1993, we had to have... That I mean, we well, had Tom Hanks in what, Philadelphia. Yeah, so, and when I mean, you said earlier sure. about this was the time when these movies were happening, that's absolutely true. And I remember this time, and AIDS was still very, very touchy subject because in it, even uh, up to ninety five, people were dropping dead every day. So um, there was death, 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 death. So it was a touchy subject. So these movies wanted to take on the fact that let's talk openly about this. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what causes it. Let's talk about how we got to this point. But, I mean, people were still only ready for so much. Philadelphia right. was considered revolutionary and groundbreaking, that crappy um. film. Um, so, <laughs> How do you really feel about that? Yeah, well. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had a gay character on Mr. Belvedere. Well, come on now. No, they did. This, I didn't watch Mr. Belvedere. I know, I'm just Was it Mr. You. Belvedere? Yes, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, he no, was the gay No, one? he wasn't the There was a kid at school who was a hemophiliac. Yeah. Yes. So that's like, how that, they were dealing with that's it. That's how it makes it, you know, like they were doing know, like TV movie of the week stuff. Right. Exactly. And so those steps are important. And it's really it is. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm as young as I am. And I remember this, but in a very tangential way, because I was mm-hmm. growing up and dealing with my own shit. So uh, it, it to look back and you like, oh, it doesn't age well or blah, blah, blah. And that's an unfair assessment because this was important at the time. And they were they were striving. They were trying to do something. Well, and I this, think that they did it. What this movie did, what and I think this was the point. This was why it was written and, and filmed and done in the way it was. 
This movie allowed your mom and dad to watch about AIDS on TV. Mm-hmm. A lot, most straight people in the world at that time ignored it. They literally ignored it. Gay people were up in arms. Gay people were dying all over the place. But straight people ignored it, ignored it because it, the phrase then was, it's not our disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so the TV, and we're all, you know, us Americans are tied to media. The TV movies that they made, and even Philadelphia as the first mainstream movie, um, it allowed the conversation to be happening with straight people. So right. in that way, it served a purpose. Definitely. And I'm, I'm extremely glad that they did it because I feel like the, the book may or may not have ever continued to be. And, and the book is is amazing. And it's should a be Pulitzer required, Prize winning book. It I should mean, be required reading. I, I it is, like. isn't it? Didn't he uh, win a Pulitzer Prize for this? I, I was trying to remember if he did or not. I think he did. It might have been nominated. But you know what? I'm sorry. The Accidental Tourist was also nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and that yeah. one sucked. That so okay, um, <laughs> I agree with you there. Flashback to last episode of Pages and Popcorn. Podcast. <laughs> oh, did you already cover that one? Yeah, yeah, that's a crappy. I haven't read the book, but the movie was. Oh was, my god, it was so bad. The, was crap. <laughs> the book was bad too. Yes. Wow. The book was even worse. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like the horror of the epidemic could have been so much more there was no horror in the movie that's really. what i'm saying None. like it just it was and even when bill Krause, the guy who we've been kind of following we don't watch we don't get the resolution of what happened I mean, we know he's gonna die but and at the end he talks in tongues for a couple of minutes and, and then, then it's off screen then it's off screen yeah whereas there's destruction and death and and evil in every died. page of yeah. the book yeah it's yeah and the, the first i think the first victim they talk about in the book was a lesbian wasn't well, we it? don't know. Um, no, I thought they named, Rask? Yeah, I thought they named her partner later. Oh, I. You know what? I read that as her medical partner, not her partner partner, because I didn't think that in nineteen eighty. Oh, I read it the other way. Oh, interesting. Could have been. Well, she was European. She wasn't American. That's so true. to me, I thought, okay, that makes total sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe no. as an American, you wouldn't think that she would be a lesbian out, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um. The 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 swarmy, uh, beautiful gate. Um, what's his name? Oh, that's flight attendant. The flight attendant. Yes. Well, you know that was huge. That's what we were all told at that time that this guy was the one who caused AIDS mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. This guy alone was, and that that theory went on for years. Yeah. Until yeah. it was debunked. Yeah, and but it was. We all believed it, and mm-hmm. we all repeated it. I remember as a child being told that AIDS had come because some guy had had sex with monkeys. Yeah. In Africa. See, that came much later, but that's yeah. true. That's that's how. And it then happens. it morphed into. Um, and I don't know if this was the final uh, uh, decision because the last thing I read was AIDS has been around for a very, very, very long. Last time. thing I said said that it. Um, there's two working theories. One is that there was a tribe in Africa who were isolated, and they had this immune deficiency. You know, basically the gene for it, but they were isolated, so it didn't affect anybody. And then when they started coming in contact with other people, um, basically the same thing where like the pilgrims, well, the, yeah, landed Christopher Columbus, right. they killed everybody with smallpox. It's the same basic idea. You come into contact with something that your body has evolved to right, not really right. see as a and threat anymore. And what about anymore. the monkey meat? Because there was the one about eating monkey meat, not screwing a monkey. Even that one was oh. crazy. <laughs> but there was one later that I read. This was huh. a few years back that said it was caused by. Uh, people in the jungle eating monkey meat and so it came from monkeys and i don't even know if that's debunked now or if that's the current current story i do know but it, i think it's hundreds of years it went back 
Oh, okay. See, the thing I saw um, said that in like, in the fifties is when they probably started first having the first couple of cases, the first cases, exactly. and not knowing what but it they was. They didn't know what it was, right? And then eventually, you know, and because the inoculation period is so long, and you can be a carrier for so long and not know it, it was like the beginning of this book when they were they they follow several people who are getting sick and getting different opportunistic diseases, and they are diseases like pneumocystis pneumonia and others that they didn't see in healthy people ever. Right. And they were, at the beginning, just going, well, it's because of this. They're attributing it to some odd thing that's happening, and it's isolated instead of, they didn't know that these were all signs, symptoms of of AIDS and HIV. And it's interesting because, you know, even even then, in the 80s, they were able to talk, that's... That is, again, what surprised me is how quickly people were able to actually start to put some pieces together without the Internet. Because you think if something yeah, like this true. happened now, it would be medical journals. People would be emailing each other. You'd fax, you right. know, well, not even fax. That sounds outdated. But like you would email. It would be on the cloud, you know, and we would have the ability to, to notice patterns so fast. The fact that they noticed the patterns as quickly as they did with the technology that they had in the 80s was pretty interesting. You know, when my husband was sick in 93 and 94, I... The internet was around. It wasn't great, but it was around. Mm-hmm. And I used to print stuff off the internet and take to him that he didn't know about. Every time we'd go in, I'd print something else, and I'd say, "Did you know about this?" And he, luckily, he was very receptive to it. And he said, "Well, thank you." And but he the, literally didn't know about like it. I had just looked it up. On, yeah, the doctor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. We our, our resources were limited, and then there was that whole competition between France and the and France <laughs> and America, which was. And I remember that. That I remember that very clearly. It was a big deal. So the author, um, Schultz, was tested for HIV while he was writing the book, but waited to find his results out until he was finished. And, and, and the, he died of AIDS. And he did. The day he turned out his manuscript was the day he he found out that he also had AIDS. And he died in 1994. Yeah. So right after the movie came out, um, he was only in his 40s. But he was ostracized by a lot of people because of this book mm-hmm. and because of his writings in other uh, arenas because that was part of the the problem with the gay community at that time and i mean i I, on one hand i understand it on the other hand it was the problem that they didn't want to be told that what they were doing as a lifestyle was risking their life and it was because sexually transmitted is the easiest way to get it Mm -hmm. um and they were having a lot of sex i mean that was just what was happening then not that we don't have a lot of sex now but it's not like it was then (laughs) it was it was all the time and with a lot of people at one time. Yeah, some of the stats in the book are amazing. They're like, oh, you'd go in and you'd have sex with 30, 40 people in a night. And, you know, <laughs> they can't see your hands. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I, 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 but I understand that. I, yeah. I, you know, I've been to a sex club, so I know what it's like. And, uh, and back then it was even more hedonistic because I've only been to a sex club post AIDS, you know, in the world mm-hmm. of safe sex. Um, back then, sex, safe sex. But even even when I would go to sex clubs, you know, 20-some years ago, um, and it was very very much in the age of AIDS, um, there were guys not having safe sex all mm-hmm. over the place. Yeah. Even though, and they would be, there's people walking around in the club trying to find guys that aren't using condoms, and they kick them out. But it, I mean, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. They had little police walking around. Interesting. But there were still guys doing it. And this was at a time where AIDS was... Full blown. I mean, you don't do this. So that's funny because that's one of the things they talked about as a way to combat the spread in the bathhouses was having people go in and, and watch, you know, and then check on. They were like, "Oh no, that would be." Oh awful. yeah, that we scene. Don't want that. They did yeah. the scene in the movie where Lily Tomlin and what's his name walk in there and say, "We want to just talk to people," and 
Um, the Phil Collins character is interesting in the movie because he plays the bathhouse owner who fights against them wanting to close the bathhouse because, and he was straight. Yeah. He's fighting he against them just money because making. money, yeah. money, money, money. And he, he has a great, not the great, but the very memorable line that they, it was came from the book too, of like, he says to the doctor, you know, I make money when they come to me and then you make, you make money, money when they come to you. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, wow. And so, nothing was highlighted more about money in the in the movie anyway mm-hmm. than that scene with they're talking to the the um, about in the blood bank the when blood they took bank, the vote trying to restrict the blood yes. bank. Yes, they the dramatization of that in the movie was well done. It when was. they were basically we're gonna by a show of hands decide whether or not we're gonna let people know that this is a risk and we're yeah. concerned about how much it's gonna cost. Because that's us. absolutely true. And then just people and, and to this day, gay people can't donate blood. Yes. Well, so that, they can. Right, but you have to lie on you your... Have, you have to lie or you have to be celibate. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, have, you have to have not had sex with a man in the last year, which, come on, that's crazy. Which is interesting because there is a test. Right. There's been a test for years. I mean, yeah, and this law actually... will not, it won't go away for some reason. I don't understand it because they test all the blood for HIV, mm-hmm. all of it. And, and we all know that straight people get HIV just as easily as gay people get it. So... Mm-hmm. Straight people aren't barred from giving blood, so they're testing their blood, but they they won't even allow us to give our blood to be tested. It's that's frustrating because at my job we have a blood bank every month. The the van comes out and mm-hmm. I and I want to donate blood and I can't. Yeah. And I f- sometimes I do feel about like lying about it. I feel like okay, I'm just gonna go do it because I, first of all I know I'm clean. I I don't have HIV, but just to get back at the system in a way, I'm like, <laughs> oh, right. you know, I wouldn't do it if I had HIV, of course, but. If I if if I I know I'm clean, I would like to go donate blood and then afterwards say, yeah, I just screwed my husband last night. So there you go. <laughs> but um, it's just very frustrating. It makes no scientific sense whatsoever. No. So even in as much progress as we've made, and here we are in the year 2019, there's all like these bizarre holdovers, and yeah. I don't know, fear based, weird based. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is either. I've tried to figure that one out. I've had conversations with people about it. And I have no idea what it is. It's the system for some reason. Oh, okay. So, yes, the movie was made in 1993. NBC um, decided not to air it in 1993. They waited until 1994 and cut 40 minutes out of it so that they could air it. Um, They say that they had to cut it to make it fit their time. People think that they probably cut it. Do we know what they cut specifically? Um, they no, because I I haven't watched both versions of it. And when you watch there's it, two versions. Of well, because there's the NBC version, but you can't find that anywhere. Oh, that's right. This was slower. the HBO version. Yeah. So I don't know what they got. They got 40 minutes though. So that's so they cut 40 minutes out of the HBO version uh-huh. to show it on NBC. NBC. Oh yes. well, we saw the HBO version, so yeah. there was nothing. What would they cut? I no idea. Maybe Something. them walking into the bathhouse. I mean, there's nothing explicit in the movie. There really, really isn't. They I don't even remember. I remember a little bit of nudity, but very it was little. Very little, and it was from like, um, I mean, yeah, there were guys in towels in the bathhouse, and I think, that, well, they say there was language, so I, hmm. I don't know, I, I have no idea what they cut. It would be interesting if somebody has the old, you know, some version of it saved somewhere, but well, yeah. I mean, I'll take this opportunity to to push a, mo- a, a HBO movie that is brilliant okay. and is the same topic, and it's called The Normal Heart. Larry Kramer's The Normal Heart. That oh, that he wrote. Three or four years ago. Um, yeah, so he wrote it. He got kicked out of the organization that he was running in New York, 
Um, there was infighting about what should and shouldn't be happening. Well, he's a loudmouth. He's a total loudmouth. Right. <laughs> yes. So I sympathize with him. <laughs> <laughs> he burned some bridges. Yeah. And, um, and he's, he's an asshole in a lot of ways. There's no doubt about that. But he was also... But uh, his he wrote it was for The New Yorker, and it basically was like, pay attention. People are dying. And, right. and that article got a lot of attention and actually made people actually have to do something. Oh, yeah. And ACT UP so, came out of that, which yeah. was a, a huge activist group that made huge inroads uh, in getting people's attention and bringing the lesbian community together with the gay community. When we, I was just talking to somebody on the phone about this last night, how the gay community and the lesbian community were literally at odds. We were talking about bars here in Fresno mm-hmm. at that time in the late 70s. And there were uh, the Express was trying to be a men's bar and, uh, you know, Shades was a women's bar and you didn't let women didn't go there and men didn't go there. And it, the, there used to be this common sense among the gay community that lesbians hate gay men and gay men hate lesbians. And to a dis- degree, that was true. Um, but the AIDS epidemic brought lesbians into the lives of gay men because lesbians weren't getting the disease mm-hmm. um, because they weren't having the kind of sex and there's no semen involved and all that, that they weren't contracting the disease. So they were literally caring for gay men who were dying of AIDS because gay men were so sick, they couldn't care for themselves. So that's what brought the lesbians and gays back together. Mm -hmm. But the play that, that Larry Kramer decided to write at some point, he said, I have to do something. I wrote this article. I'm going to do something else. And he wrote the play, the normal heart. And then they made it into an HBO movie. Yeah. They just made it into a movie recently. It was like two or three years ago. It's been a play for many, 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 many years. Um, but it also did a lot of work in getting people's attention. And even um, conservative, anti-gay people, um, reviewers came out of seeing it, you know, in New York and said, I wept and, and it touched oh, yeah. me. And and it was, uh, and it was there's, a, there's a lot of nudity in that one, by the way. Um, but it's <laughs> also, yeah, right in the f- first scene. But it's it's also very graphic about the, the, the physical torture that AIDS victims went through. I had... Several people say to me who were much, much younger than me when this came out, oh, well, you know, it's it's a cool movie, but they really exaggerated the AIDS. I'm like, no, they didn't actually go quite far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so people don't know what kind of a awful, I mean, it was, we called it the plague. That's what we all called it. And it, that's what it was. It was like living in a plague. Um, our friends were dying every single day, funerals all the time. And meanwhile, the government, there's a whole, and it's in the book and it's in, it's, I think it's in the movie too. Little Just bit less, yeah. about how Ronald Reagan, the president at the time, wouldn't even say the word until 1985. 87. 87. Yeah. Um, so this was, and that was after Rock Hudson died. Yeah. So that Rock Hudson, I mean, so a lot of people listening may not know who Rock Hudson was, but <laughs> he was a huge, huge movie star in the 50s and 60s. Um, Very macho man. Yeah. Everybody thought he was this big macho man. And, you know, there was always a rumor about him being gay. A lot, a lot of times the gay community knows who's gay when the public doesn't. Um, there's people now we can, yeah. yeah people now we can talk about. We're not outing people on this. We're not. We're podcast, not. But there but yes. are a lot of people I could out. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, so when that happened, when Rock Hudson got it, I, straight people really stood up and took notice because they thought he was one of them. Well, and also I think because he was this macho man, that kind of went against the stereotype of the gay men who are in San Francisco with the limp wrists right. and the fashion designer, whatever, choreographers and whatever. This was freaking Rob Hudson. He's, right. he's a man's man. He was a movie star. And he was, he's yeah. gay? Like, how, how does that even he work? He was a leading man on the screen for many, many years and romanced a lot of beautiful women. And I think he even had an arranged marriage through the studio so that he would not appear in any way to be gay. That's funny. I mean, sad, but... 
interesting. I guess funny, interesting. Not another big uh, milestone for uh, HIV was when um, Magic Johnson. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So that happened later. Obviously, yeah, the book obviously. the book ends. It. Yeah, and that was I remember that in school too. I must have been in sixth, seventh grade when that was going. That on. That was a and sports, a sports guy. Got yeah, AIDS, yeah, uh, an an African American. Yeah, sports man. Yeah, and the book really doesn't talk too much about the African American men in the Hispanic communities, and it was it's very pretty specific to the group. But I mean, for goodness' sake, talk about biting off a lot. It's this book is is trying so hard to cover so many things that you can't fault it for not covering everything in the entire world. And it does a brilliant job covering what it covered. I mean, I, it's it's I highly, highly, highly recommend the book. I really wish. I mean, for a lot of things, but specifically, I wish there was an, a book that was written in 1995 and then one that was written in 2005 and would just keep this same linear narrative progression. I mean, we've right. lost a lot of people along the way, but, you know, in terms of the government, in terms of what the disease, you know, what we know about the retrovirus and stuff like that, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I was surprised when the book ended when it did. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was like going to cover all of the 80s and to have it end in 1985 and be like, oh my God, but this is just the beginning of the epidemic was... But 85 was really the beginning of the public acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so and, and and the chapters in the book are are named as such to, to indicate what the time periods were. And mm-hmm. I'm going to try and find them here and real the quick. The will have them. Yeah. So it starts off with Behold a Pale Horse, which is when it's first, you know, mm-hmm. lifts its head on the horizon. Then the whole next title is is called Before. So in 1980, Before, it's the glory days, but it's before AIDS really was recognized. Then there's Paving the Road, 81. 82 is the Gathering Darkness. Um, and then uh, in 83 becomes Battle Lines and then Rituals. And then we get into, you know, people really dying and the fight really happening. And so the book delineates. I think that the, the Before title is really relevant because that literally was... I kind of marked my life for a long time before 1980 and after 1980. I was lucky. Um, I met somebody in 1982 and got into a 10-year relationship that was monogamous, um, for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I can't imagine if I had been single at that time, you know, I might not be here. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure I would have, you know, not being out until... I came out in 1982. Right when this was wow. happening. I mean, immediately as this was this happening, is, I came out of the closet. This is the therefore but the, by the grace. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think about that all the time. I was born in 1980, just to make oh, you okay. feel really old. Can we edit that part <laughs> out, please? Can we rewrite that? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I recommend people watch the movie because you will learn about an interpretation of what the, the book's reality. Like I said, it reads like fiction, but it's reality. And it's, I, I as I'm, re- you're a writer, I'm a writer. I'm reading this book going, God, I wish I could write like that. It's just amazing the way he writes. Mm-hmm. It's so, it hits right to your heart and your head at the same time. He's just a, he was an amazingly brilliant writer. Um, and then you see the movie and you kind of see how the things get whitewashed. And But like I said, it had a, it had a purpose. It had a yeah. purpose to get to mainstream America. It, it and it did. To. It had to. Like An Early Frost, which was another movie around mm-hmm. that time, was the first. Um, I think that was even more monumental because An Early Frost, when I can't remember the name of the actor that starred in it. Um, but that movie was about a, a man dying of AIDS. Um, and that was a huge, huge movie. It was a TV movie, but it was huge. So those were the kind, and those little 
little stories, sub-stories on series that you talked about. Mm -hmm. That was the way I meant. There was one on Golden Girls, for God's sake. Golden Girls had an episode where Rose thought she had HIV because she had been given blood. Um, So um, all of those things had their place to to move society to get more knowledge and to get more sympathy and empathy for the disease. Um, But this movie is truly a piece of crap. It (laughs) (laughs) It just really is. Literally, Kalia, I'm sitting there. I I finished the book, and I sat down on a Saturday night to watch this movie. The first three minutes, I'm like, this is bullshit. I mean, the first three minutes. Yeah. Well, again, because you're watching this thing, and then like the first little thing comes up. I'm like, this wasn't AIDS, but it was a warning. And I was like, okay, okay. But see, I can get that. Did you ever see the movie Outbreak? No. With I Dustin Hoffman? Oh, oh, I should. Hey, we got to cover there that. There you go. <laughs> so that movie starts kind of the same way, almost yeah. exactly the same way. Right. He's in the jungle, oh, and there's yeah. yeah. That was believable because of the way it was filmed. This one, it looked like it was filmed by a sixteen-year-old. The writing well, is horrible. The dialogue is horrible. It was it, okay. Here's the thing, and I've said this on the podcast before. I don't like knowing that I'm being emotionally manipulated. I don't mind being emotionally manipulated as long as I can't see the strings. But when right. I can see the strings and I know what you're trying to do, that makes right. me really resistant to whatever it is oh, sure. that you're trying to do. Yeah. And so this, so, okay, uh, Matthew Modine is like, oh, my God, it's so sad. There's all these bodies and I'm going to stand here and look at them and look at me emoting that I'm sad. And okay. Fine. Right, right. And then he goes in and this lady is like talking and she, you know, in a, in a language he can't understand. And, and she then she grabs him. his hand yeah. and then she coughs blood all over him. And I was right. like, you were wearing a gas mask, but not gloves. Not, but not the? around the sick person. Seriously. <laughs> not around the, and where are your gloves? Whatever. Fine. He's okay. outside with a mask. He walks into the sick person and he takes take his mask, my mask off. I'm like, and let, get your hell? blood on my hand. Awesome. Okay. That reminds so, me of all this, these space movies. This is not OSHA compliant. But, okay, <laughs> but, wait, let me just do this. All these space movies. Do you ever see, do you watch the alien movies? Yes. So one of the newer ones. Uh, where they go to the prequel or whatever it is, and they go Prometheus into this, they land on this planet, and they oh. go into this cave, and they take off their helmets. <laughs> Have you not seen the movie? Hello. <laughs> okay, so then later on, Matthew Modine's character. Now he's now we have Bill Krause, and he's in the hospital, and he's dying of AIDS, and Matthew Modine goes in there for some reason, and so here he is, and Bill Krause is like talking in gibberish because his brain is going, and and he's you know looking all around, and then he grabs Matthew Modine's hand, and I'm like, if he Freaking coughs blood on Matthew Modine's hand. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with this movie. Or if he dies right now, too, that would be so cheap. And I, it could have totally seen it happening. But the point of that was that Matthew Modine puts his other hand over his and says, okay. Now he's not afraid, which is fine. Okay. The reason he maybe wouldn't touch the African lady's hand because there was literally blood all over. I mean, let's just say, like, there's a difference here. But yeah. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. It, it, but what's ironic is... We don't is, need to make something like this overly sensational. It's sensational enough. It's dramatic enough. And I feel like some of the stuff that they oh, added it was, in... Just, it was written horribly. It's oh. filmed horribly. The lighting's horrible. <laughs> A lot of the acting is horrible. You know, Saul Rabinowitz, who plays... Matthew uh, Modine's boss. Yeah, that guy. Horrible. And he's in a lot of stuff. He is. He's a big character actor. He's a character actor. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, yeah. And and you couldn't understand. Lily Tomlin, totally wasted. You couldn't understand his motivation. He seems like he changed character. I felt like a couple of these characters were multiple people that they smushed into one. Yeah, exactly. They were. They were they were fulfilling a purpose Ugh. of getting the story across without being real characters. Whereas the book, again, it's real people, but it's written as if it's it's fiction in a way. It's so well written. Well, and we're really in we 
the the actual tragedy of it is not shied away in the book we we feel those tragic moments we're with people when they're dying when they're finding out when they're grieving together we have journal entries um but it's a testament to the writing that it doesn't become you don't get right now in the news in 2019 i get a little bit of outreach fatigue sometimes i'm like i'm just oh what did he do now you right, know, oh sure. my god, I just roll my eyes and it kind of rolls off. Yeah, yeah. But in this book, you don't get sadness fatigue. It stays sad every time, and right. that is incredibly difficult to do because you can have a book with two characters, and by the time the second character deals with something sad, you're like, whatever, yawn. Yeah, this yeah, book yeah. had so many sad things, but it was sad every time. And, and, be- so- and because it's mixing behind the behind the vignettes of the people going through their suffering or their hard times. Behind that is the political world or the societal world that are having to deal or not deal with this disease. So there's there's a lot woven through this book. It's people dying and suffering at the same time that people are, you know, trying to find a, a, a reason for this disease and trying to reach the public and trying to yeah. fight discrimination and trying to save money by not closing the blood bank. I mean, the and, and maybe it touched me so much because I lived through all that and I remember all that so clearly. It's all, and I want to say it's true because... Even though it's a nonfiction book, I say it reads like fiction, but it's all it's all completely on it's to- so on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the movie <laughs> is so off the nose. Oh my god! So I will say, if you if you can't sit down and read six hundred pages, um, that, I feel you because that's that's a big undertaking. If you see the movie, you'll get a lot of it. I I'll just, say I just, she's wrong. I just... You won't get any of it. I feel like you should... I, I just feel like people should just read the book. Yeah. But that, it's it's hard. It is. I mean, maybe you read it in stages. Maybe you... Well, you know, when we say it's 600 pages, I don't, I don't want people to think it reads like a technical manual or anything. It, it does not. It no, reads it like a page-turning book. I will book. tell you, I, I was skimming more at the beginning. Um... Just because I was like trying to read it quickly and stuff, and then I had to stop skimming because it was so interesting yeah. and and so impactful, and there were so many freaking characters, um, characters, people, real people, and at, by the time I was getting towards the end, I definitely wasn't skimming anymore. It kept me engaged, which I, is really freaking impressive for a book this long. Well, I so. admit I did part of it on audio book because mm-hmm. it, it it's I my eyes aren't the best and it was hard to read that many pages, so I did it on audio book, which brings in the the narrator's voice a little bit and it, and. It kept me um, really, really intrigued because, of course, a reader is going to, a narrator is going to add emotion to it. Yeah. Um, and I also learned that you can do an audio book at 1.3, yes. 1.75 yes. the speed. So, which sounds really strange at first, but once you get used to it, it does speed things up. Yeah. Um, they're starting to do that with movies and stuff on Netflix. I saw that. Too. That's you crazy. Watch, I, think, I know. But... I, it's like this thing where like there's so much good TV or so many movies out there in order to in keep order to up with the it, world. You've got to watch it fast. Speed, yeah. I was like, wow. That's... There's a setting on audiobooks that's, I think, three times the speed, which literally sounds like a bug. You can't understand <laughs> one single word. I don't understand that. But... That's probably for those people who think that um, learning comes through osmosis. Like if I just hear it while I'm sleeping, I'll... Did you ever study yeah, yeah, for yeah. a test I'll, by oh, listening yeah. to it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just sleep through it. I'll remember everything. Yeah. But this it is does you not can't, work. You can't make that I fall work. asleep every night listening to a history podcast. I always have to back it up. I would never remember stuff when yeah, I fall no. asleep. So. I fall asleep to TV and I, I don't... I have some interesting dreams, but I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, I guess we've kind of done our final thoughts. I would, I definitely, the book is definitely worth the time and energy to, to read it. Absolutely. I understand if people can't, but I really, really highly recommend it. 
I think I didn't dislike the movie quite as much as you did, although I have to tell you, it I really didn't like Matthew Modine's character, or Matthew Modine. Well, he's in every scene, almost. I, yeah, so... Um, I, I would say that it it's not a it's not a slow two and a half hours. Like it doesn't it, it moves. Like there's you know oh, it moves so much. And I th- I thought this was interesting. I wanted to say this at the beginning. So the the this book every chapter is written in separate vignettes. So like in one chapter you're you're with a couple that's having an issue with AIDS, and then you're with a doctor, and then you're back with a single person, then you're with the flight attendant, then you. So that's how the book is written. The the movie like that first scene mm-hmm. is what three or four minutes then another scene comes on and it's two or three minutes and another scene comes on i mean yeah. they seem to follow that part of the book by jamming in all these scenes i don't know if that was right. just editing for time or what but it didn't work in the movie no it really didn't work i no, it didn't because they weren't building anything i i will say i mean if you want so i'm gonna put on the show notes i found this really interesting thing it's this compilation of news footage about aids um it starts with the first time it was mentioned on the nightly news and it kind of goes through and it's basically just the news stories which of course tell gives you like this tiny little part of the media coverage and the whole story but it's interesting because it starts off with like gay cancer and then it goes on to like this boy is being kicked out of school because he's a hemophiliac who has aids now and like all these parents are like we can't send our kids to this school and like it goes on it's 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 52 minutes long of really yes of these of of this narrative, it, it, but it it tells this story in these random news clips that encompass you know ten fifteen. There was years talk time. during the AIDS epidemic of putting us in camps. Yes, literally, and, and that's mentioned on the scene. So I'm going to link that video into the the show notes. So maybe watch that and read this book. <laughs> Skip the movie. <laughs> well, no, I think I think it's good to watch the movie just like because, like I said, it shows you. How media whitewashes, and you know they do it every day. Whitewash, even of fictional books, they straight wash. Yeah, straight wash or, or just whitewash White or money wash or money whatever wash, they do. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting that the the book is so beautiful and the movie is so ugly. Yeah. Yeah, and it tries to save it. That could be the the subtitle of this podcast. The book is so, <laughs> so beautiful, beautiful and the movie is so ugly. I'm just saying. Oh, I didn't do it yeah. on purpose. It just came it out. Came right out. Yeah. Um, they they tried to just kind of save it with the um, little epilogue, you know, the words at the end of the movie to to try and to. The, and then the there's this montage, montage of these Ryan famous White people. And Liberace okay, and, and here's the thing, I have a feeling in 1993, people watching this knew who everybody was who was shown on that screen. Oh, but you didn't. Right? I knew about half those people, <laughs> and I'm pretty wired in to I like. Knew them, I knew them all, but yeah, I lived through that. So I. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I will also, in our show notes, put a list of all the people who were there because it is interesting, you know, to see it. And but if you had lived at that time, you would, you would have, have known. You would have known it. Yeah, they, in 1993. These weren't abstract people. No, of course not. And some of them you recognize, but you just don't know the name. But what I'm saying is it doesn't really hold the test of time. No, the it doesn't. The book holds the test of time. Yeah, it does. The movie feels very much of its time and of its place. Right. And it's frozen. It's, it's like an amber. And that, I think, is frustrating because the disease is not... In amber, right. this is an evolving disease, and it is really still relevant today. And sadly, and we're, I think we're going to talk about it in a minute. Um, there's been a little bit of a resurgence because we have a generation of people who didn't grow up with this fear and all of this stuff. So, okay, so the book though is the cautionary tale, and it leaves you knowing that there's this more on the horizon. That's you know, the movie 
it's too much of its time and place. It's True. too much of the movie of the week. And, and so. the fact is, this could happen again. There, there, we could have some new disease that you know affects some other part of the population. Well, according Let's to say, the internet, it's Lyme disease right is it? now. Yes. Lyme, which part of the population is that affecting? Um, hikers. Hikers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to work. Well, I'm just saying. But let's like, say there was a disease that hit women. Or a disease. But, but it's communicable. Like, so people are getting it from mosquitoes, and then they're coming home to their families. Lyme disease is from ticks, I thought. Tick, sorry, yes, okay. I said mosquitoes. They're getting it in the forest, they're coming home, and it's not being diagnosed, and then they're transmitting it to other people, because it can oh, jump or something. Oh, I didn't know you could transmit Whatever. I don't know. Like, maybe this was a cr- crazy rabbit hole that I fell down on the internet earlier yeah. today, and then I got scared. And but something like that, it. maybe this is one of them, and there's another one that happens tomorrow that affects a certain... Por- maybe it affects young people, maybe it affects old people, women. Who knows? Um, like this weird thing that happened with kids last year where they didn't know what it was. You know, you don't, you don't, you, you saw that there was a few cases. Of, it was very few, but there were a few. This is a good example. Like you said at the time, there was a few cases of kids that were becoming, they were losing the ability to speak and to walk for no apparent reason. It hit like lots of places around the country, but I think only like a hundred and some Wasn't kids. Wasn't it with food? It was I don't remember what they finally found out it was. That wasn't the spinach thing. But, but th- in the beginning, they were talking about it like this is going to be the dis- the, this, the, the strange disease thing. that kills yeah. kids only. Um, yeah, but to see kids, all the money would show up for that. Yeah, yeah. That's be yeah. But they'd, have, they'd probably start, who knows if they start shutting down schools. and. Oh, yeah, for sure. So do, do you talk to, we have a friend. Named Gina. Gina Adams at the Fresno County Health Department. And did she give you some stats? She gave me some stats. Um, so um, maybe the first stats I'll look at is Fresno County because that's, that's where, where we, we are. are. So this is from 2017. So as you know, you know when you get stats, they're usually a couple years behind where you're at. Um, living with HIV in California, 135,082 people. Wow. Um, of those, 99,000 are in care. About 74% are in some kind of care, um, and about 63% are virally suppressed. So, you know, it's a very, very different disease than it used to be. People rarely die of it anymore, mm-hmm. and a lot of people... I was just talking to a friend last night who has a... We have a, a mutual friend who he's not healthy, but he's had it for 30-some years. Good grief. Um, and still living. And I know other people. I have another friend here in Fresno that's had it for 35 or so years and is still living. Um, you know, they're on medication. They're taking care of themselves in one way or another. But um, that was the number of living with HIV in California. Just in Fresno, uh, 1,969 people are living with HIV. Um, about 80% are in care, which is 1,563 people. Virally suppressed, about 1,304 or 66%. Um uh, of the one of the 135,082 people living with diagnosed HIV infection in 2017, 73.6 were in HIV care and 63% achieved viral suppression, which is when it's undetectable in your system. It does not mean you're cured. And that's in California. That's in that's in California. Yeah. Um, 90 uh, California's integrated plan objectives are to increase the percentage of Californians with diagnosed HIV infection who are in HIV medical care to at least 90% by 2021. So that's, you know, local local stats. Um, in the country, um, in the country, Chris, in the country, one in seven people living with HIV are unaware of their infection. So a lot of people have it and don't know it. Approximately 1.1 million in the U.S. are living with HIV today. About 15% of them don't know they're infected. 
An estimated 38,700 Americans became newly infected in 2016. Um, gay, bisexual, and other men who have Read sex... Read that with, one again. In 2016, a, an estimated 38,700 Americans became newly infected. So, you know, that's really, really important. And those of us who are older, um, <laughs> who had lived through the AIDS epidemic, and people, uh, even you... Um, even though you've lost people to age, you didn't live through that period. So it doesn't terrify you the way it terrifies us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was in the bar business for, and, the, and, and the community center business for a lot of years where we would talk to people about condoms. And the young people are like, I don't need a condom. I can just take a pill if I get sick. But, you know, they don't realize that if, let's say you do get sick and have to live on pills, the side effects of those pills are awful. Well, and nowadays with the insurance companies being the way they are, you might not be able to afford yeah, your pills and, and you could die from yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, just this is a good time to say most health departments in most cities do uh, free and rapid HIV testing. Absolutely. And they do so, it here in Fresno. So you can go in and do they, do you know, can you do it anonymously? Yes. Yes. Um, and get tested. So there's, at this point, there's no, there's no reason to not know your status. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say this other thing about um, Hispanic Latino men and Hispanic Latino women, they make up uh, of the 38,739 new HIV diagnoses in the U.S. in 2017, 26% were among adult and adolescent Hispanic Latinos, 22% were among Hispanic Latino men, and 3% were among Hispanic women or Latinas. Um, so it, it, there's all kinds of information about which uh, ethnic groups it strikes and women, how women are... Women of color, especially black women, are highly susceptible to it. And a lot of that is because the men are transmitting it to the women. And, and there's a whole conversation about are, are they wearing condoms and they're not allowed to wear condoms. They don't want to wear condoms and so on. So women are getting it a lot. In the beginning, um, women never got it. Or at least it was never talked about women getting it. And then I, there's a scene in the movie where... Uh, she gets it from a, a blood transfusion. Right. And there's yeah. another scene where they said, we just found a whole bunch of dr intravenous drug users mm -hmm. that have it. And that, that, that confuses them because they go, we thought this was sex. And, right. And it's not sex. Um, so you can get tested in, in Fresno. And like, like Kalia said, in most counties and cities, totally free. Uh, co free condoms are available at the Fresno County Health Department and community centers and other places like that. So um, there's no reason why you can't access these services. And the most important thing if you, when you get tested is that when you get your results, you're around somebody like at the Fresno County Health Department who can counsel you and, and tell you what this means and, how to, and, and work to getting you into care right away. So I, I know this young guy in Fresno that was in care taking medication and just decided he didn't want to take medication anymore and then got really, really sick. So it's, it's, yes, in a way, it's a disease now like diabetes where you take medication to manage it, but it's critical that you stay on the medication and that you update with your doctor, is the medication working and what's going on? Um, and then inform your partners. And inform everybody. Everybody, <coughs> I mean, you never have unprotected sex. I'm not, you know, this new drug that's out, um, Truvada, that um, you can take that's... You're still supposed to wear condoms when you, when you use it, but a lot of people are thinking that they don't have to because it really, really reduces the risk of getting HIV. So I've been one of those people that talks about use a condom no matter what. But, you know, it, it's similar to gay men in the late 70s. Young gay men now don't want to be told that now that they can start having sex with, with men, 
they have to wear a condom. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's a system of suppression in a way in their minds that they don't want to wear a condom, but us old fogies who lived through it are telling them it's not worth the risk. Read the book, read the book, read the book, watch the movie with a cocktail in your hand. (laughs) But definitely read the book. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. You won't regret it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming and for reliving and sharing, being an amazing activist for the LGBT community here in Fresno and other parts. You as well. You as well. If the people out there want to find you, are you searchable on the social media? I'm on Facebook, Chris Jarvis. Um, I don't do Twitter or any of that other stuff, so you'd have to find me there, but you can find me on Facebook. Okay. I will put a link to your profile and... um, do you, is there anything you want to specifically promote or any projects that you're working on or activism that you're involved with right now that you'd like to hear? Uh, yeah, I would. I, we, I am a member of the uh, Quistory Committee, and that's Q-I-S-T-O-R-Y. It's a queer history of Fresno and the Central Valley, and we've got a website, or we've got a Facebook page. It's under Quistory, Q-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Uh, go there, like it. Um, we are constantly posting uh, memories and pamphlets and photos and stories of Fresno. Um, right now we're concentrating on 1950 to 19, 1950 to 2000. It's the oral histories, right? Yeah. Well, it, we, we, we're a committee that does several projects. We're going to have an oral history part. We have pop-up. We had a pop-up at Pride this year. Um, we're working toward an archive at the Henry Madden Library at Fresno State and an exhibit, in, which has been moved out a year, so maybe the fall of uh, 2021. But if you know someone in the Fresno Central Valley area who's older, um, we're look, we're talking to people now, especially 60, 70, and older, because those stories are going to be lost if we don't get them. Uh, we it's we come out, we do an oral history, we do an interview, we do a transcript, and it's a it's a really great project to preserve the LGBTQ community of Fresno. Okay, and you and I will put that on all in the show notes as well. So cool. Thank you so much for being here. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yay.